Welcome everyone to another episode of Be Healthistic. Today on our Ask the Doctor segment, we'll answer questions that you've asked us on Facebook. And our segment today is gonna to be all about COPD or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Now, if you've ever heard the terms chronic bronchitis or emphysema, those are really the conditions that we're gonna be talking about today. And you may not know this, and this is something that I actually learned while I was preparing for this um, Ask the Doctor segment today, is that COPD is in fact the fourth leading cause of death in the United States, fourth leading cause of death. And it affects over 15 million Americans, which is pretty significant. And what COPD is, is it's really a chronic progressive lung disease that re basically results in a reduction of um, airflow over time. So on a cellular level, the ability of your lungs to exchange oxygen and CO2 becomes compromised. And this can be a, a condition that really affects the quality of life for people. Now, Dad, as a cardiologist, what was your experience with COPD? Well, actually, um, one goes with the other. Remember that the heart and the lungs share the same circulation. So if you're compromised on the lung side, then you're certainly compromised on the heart side as well. And as a heart specialist, I used to dread the fact that if I was seeing somebody with a heart attack or malignant cardiac arrhythmia, if they had C COPD at the same time, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, then my job was a lot harder, and, you know, in trying to, uh, you know, get them in better shape. So... Um, well, if, a, if a heart attack occurs in a smoking individual or let's say a coal miner or somebody's worked with asbestos or somebody has a lot of environmental you know, toxicity, my job was certainly uh, incredibly hard because once both circulations are involved, both vital organs are involved, you know, one can uh, impact the other and uh, that's when I saw the most complications. Yeah, and I'm happy you mentioned the smoking piece because that's really the, the underlying cause or probably the major cause for COPD. And in fact, 80% of COPD patients right now in the United States have uh, either smoked or are currently smoking. So in terms of prevention, we need to tell people to please stop smoking because that is ultimately the number one cause of COPD. And like you mentioned too, Dad, all the other environmental exposures too. Uh, I mean, what are the... You know, Drew, I, I think I want to mention one environmental exposure. Sure. Because, uh, it's sort of being eradicated now, which is sort of music to my ears. Um, I don't know what it's like, you know, in Canada or California, but uh, in the Northeast, um, we used to have toll roads everywhere. You know, <sighs> yes. Massachusetts Turnpike, Connecticut Turnpike. I mean, the bridges going over into Manhattan. I mean, all that, everything was toll roads. So what happened is when cars were slowing down and you were paying the toll, um, the auto emissions was like increasing, you know, because the cars were slowing down and then speeding up. And then when I had a health food store like 20, 30 years ago, I was reading about the impact of auto emissions and the impact, the positive impact of vitamin E in reversing some of the to environmental toxicity of the auto emissions. And even as a heart specialist, you know, I, I, was, I, I was looking at this and uh, it just made a lot of sense to me, even though it was decades before. Mm -hmm. Now with all the, all the toll roads being, you know, you have all this monitoring going on and, and like, you know, you know, but in Florida, we still have it. We have to slow down, you know, go through a toll road. But again, those auto emissions are really problematic you know, even with the cleaner gasoline today. So, um, you know, for the environmentalists listening to this program, uh, you know, vitamin E is one of the, uh, you know, great, you know, substances we can take to, to help eradicate some of these environmental toxicities. 
Yeah, and we'll we'll definitely get to some potential treatments um, towards the end. And you know, let's let's talk to our, our viewers and listeners about really what COPD is. And we talked about being a chronic progressive lung disease, meaning it gets worse over time. And really, the, the cardinal symptoms of COPD are uh, shortness of breath or dyspnea, uh, chronic cough, and sputum production. Correct. And so, some who are listening right now may be saying, "Well, I've got asthma. Where does asthma fall into this category? Because I've got those symptoms." And, and technically speaking, mild to moderate asthma doesn't really fall under the COPD umbrella. It's really severe, chronic uh, asthma that can actually lead to COPD. Um, but really, if you have someone that's having shortness of breath, they've got a chronic cough, they've got lots of sputum production, that's when you really start to thinking around, well, hey, could this person have COPD? Yeah, and one of the things that I saw frequently was a combination of bronchitis with COPD, where the, the sputum production was uh, even worse. Now, with pure emphysema, I've seen many patients who did not have sputum production, but mm -hmm. when they developed superimposed bronchitis on the emphysema or the COPD, then they would have sputum production. But usually sputum production was sort of uh, an end sign because it would take decades. And, not, you know, I saw patients who were smoking as kids into mm -hmm. their 30s, 40s, and 50s who, who developed uh, early COPD and then secondary bronchitis superimposed on it. Exactly. And, and just what you said there too, Doug, the history of smoking, that's always an important question to ask because if you are currently smoking or have smoked in the past, we need to bring that up, of course. Um, now, what about um, other symptoms, Dad? I mean, like I know wheezing can be a part of the picture. Also, you know, tightness in the chest, um, exercise intolerance. Is there anything else you can think of for COPD that, that people should be aware of? Well, the most important thing is when they got infections. In other mm -hmm. words, uh, whether they caught bacterial or viral infections. Um, one of the things that I learned very early was if you do have COPD and you did develop an infection, uh, some of these people responded immediately to antibiotics. And then some people, if you w withheld antibiotics for any reason, um, they would progress and get worse and worse. And, and unfortunately, I've seen people uh, go on to full-blown pneumonia as well. So, you know, even in this uh you know, COVID, you know, COVID-19 epidemic or the pan epidemic we're in right now. I mean, certainly a, a COPD is a comorbidity where people have to be very careful. Right. And smoking is a major comorbidity uh, with, with COPD as well. Exactly. And, and, and COVID-19. Now, if someone has these signs and symptoms that we just talked about, what are really some of the diagnostic tests that can be run to uh, confirm a COPD diagnosis? Well, a classic test is what we call an FEV1. I mean, that was, you know, in my day, and it's still a, a, a big test today where, you know, you breathe in and you force out your air uh, within a second. And in other words, if you have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease where you have narrowing of the bronchioles or you have air sacs in the, in the alveoli, you can't get the air out. It's almost like an asthmatic situation. So the FEV1 is prolonged. And when we see a prolonged forced expiratory volume, you know, FEV1, well, then that's sort of uh, almost, you know, the sine qua non of, of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's easy to do. And uh, these pulmonary tests can be done by pulmonary technicians. And, uh, you know, the doctors get reports and they can make decisions on it. Yeah. So that's the spirometry test that people yes. may, may have. And, um, you know, people have always asked some of these Facebook questions. Well, what about like a, a chest x-ray? Can that diagnose it? And, and really, if you want a chest X-ray or get a, a chest CT, 
that may help you understand if you've got emphysema, because we can see the, the damage that's being done to the lungs. But really, uh, and you can also exclude other, uh, other conditions like lung cancer, for example. But really, it's, it's all about the signs and symptoms and the spirometry tests that you just talked about with um, FVC and, um, and all that. Right, right. I mean, yeah. you can check total lung capacity and all those things. But, you know, a chest X-ray for emphysema or COPD, it's, it's usually those findings are usually seen on the latter stages of the illness. And exactly. I'm going to tell you, I was blessed. I, I studied with one of the best uh, pulmonologists uh, in the United States when I was a, really a resident in medicine at St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center. And and he used to show x-rays all the time. I mean, when we had our residence meeting, you know, every day he would put up these x-rays. And, uh, um, you know, he was even a specialist in what we call a diffuse lung lesion, which is what we're seeing today with COVID-19. It's actually a diffuse lung lesion. It's the total opposite of COPD, asthma. And, you know, mm. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. But you, you basically get a, like a glass-like a picture of the lung, which is really a, a hemorrhagic type situation, you know, in the alveoli. But, um, you know, that's one of the worst things that we that I saw in my training. And unfortunately, that's one of the, that's one of the things we're seeing today with covid Right. Well, Deb, you mentioned the, the, the toll booths and the air pollution aspect with cars. Yeah. I also wanted to bring up, too, you know, on the West Coast, those of us that have been living here for the last two months, uh, it has been an awful time with these forest fires. And the amount of particulate matter that we're being exposed to and breathing in is, is unprecedented. I mean, I, I can't tell you, Dad, how, how difficult it was to, to be inside for many weeks at a time. Um, so let's talk about some ways to kind of reduce a lot of this environmental, you know, toxicity piece that may be hurting the lungs. Obviously, stopping smoking. That's number one. Uh, reducing, um, you know, your exposure to car emissions, if that's even possible. So roll your windows up, for example. Right. Uh, right. Same thing happens with the forest fires. You may want to make sure if you're traveling in your car to roll your windows up, get an air purifier in your home to make sure that the air that you're breathing in your home is clean. Um, what else can we do in terms of the environmental piece to kind of re well, help reduce the the risk? Yeah, I just want to just uh, give a tag along on that last uh, statement you made. When we're in traffic jams, you know, put your recirc on. In your yes, car, thank you. Know? you. That is so important because, you know, if you're in a traffic jam and you're not moving and, and you got your windows down and you're breathing in those auto emissions, that's not good for the uh, body or the lung or anything at this point. Yeah, Dad, even my kids are trained now where if they smell a little exhaust in the car, they say, Dad, is that recirculation button on? I said, no, son, you're right, it's not. <laughs> That's good. That's good. The, the, the kids, they're like canaries in a coal mine. You know what I mean? That's exactly. really important. That's really exactly. Important. So removing all the causes, the smoking, you know, helping, you know, filter your air out in your home. What else can people do in terms of lifestyle stuff like diet, uh, supplements, all that? Let's Let's dig into that. Well, you know. I'm a big believer in diet, and I and I did a little short video on health with healthy directions on this about quercetin and onions. I mean, I I, I read this Zuppelin elderly, elderly study when I was uh, a fellow in cardiology. Actually, uh, I was an attending in cardiology as well because the study went on for decades. But these these elderly Dutchmen, they were only interested the researchers in how long they lived. They didn't care whether they died of cancer, heart disease, or whatever. And and I said this before, and I'll say it again. The biggest thing was the amount of quercetin in the bloodstream. In other mm -hmm. words, they, they could measure this, you know, and the Dutchman, the, the longest living Dutchman had the highest levels of quercetin in the bloodstream. So mm -hmm. what does that mean? Well, if you were 
eating a lot of, let's say, green apples or eating a lot of onions, onions contain a lot of quercetin, or drinking black tea. These are the three top quercetin-containing foods. And uh, what the research has showed that quercetin protected the body from inflammation. Now, let's fast forward three or four more decades. You know, now with COVID-19 and everything else and respiratory illnesses and SARS virus and Ebola virus and this virus and influenza, what they're finding is that quercetin, you know, this really magical bioflavonoid protects, has a special affinity for the lung by protecting the lung in an inflammatory situation. So I'm all in when it comes to quercetin. <laughs> I, I, I love it. That's a, that's a great addition, Dad. I like that. I do like that. Um, I, I like to recommend that uh, in regards to diet, people reduce uh, mucus-forming foods. So that can be dairy products for a lot of people. Exactly, yes. Yep. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with this, Dad, but uh, what we've done before for a lot of patients with chronic bronchitis is uh, nebulized glutathione. And I can't remember if you gave that to me as a kid when I had asthma, but uh, it, it can certainly help people um, reduce some of their symptoms. If they have uh, a nebulizer at home, we give some glutathione to take and they do a session once or twice a day. No, it works, Drew, and I'll never forget this. Um, I was only in my mid-50s, and I was using IV glutathione in my office. And I'll never forget, I had a guy come in with Parkinson's disease. He was shuffling in, and he had his Parkinson gait and his codwell rigidity and all that stuff. And I put him on IV glutathione, and he literally walked out of my office like a normal yeah. man. I mean, That's it was strong. amazing. I mean, it was, like, totally amazing. And then one of the attorneys that my wife was, uh, my, you know, my, my Jan was actually uh, working with, she says, you can't do that. They're going to take away your license. <laughs> I go, what do you mean I can't do this? I'm, help I'm helping these people. You cannot do this in the state of Connecticut. So mm -hmm. it, it was amazing. You know, it's like, you know, she she put the blocks on me and she says, you know, as your attorney, I got to tell you, you can't do this. And I said, oh, my gosh. But. Drew was like night and day. I mean, yeah. and now we use glutathione for everything. In exactly. fact, even vitamin E's that we can take are fortified with glutathione and the vitamin C, for example. I, I, I take a vitamin C every day. It's in a packet fortified. It's in a liposomal, you know, delivery system, which really works. And, and I'll tell you, I, I think glutathione is one of the best things you can do. And you're a big proponent of NAC, N-acetylcysteine. Well, it's a great it's a great segue, Dad, because, yeah, if we don't have access to glutathione, if people can't get an IV, they can't do nebulized glutathione. Well, taking oral NAC is a great substitute. Of course, because N-acetylcysteine is broken down to glutathione in the body. And if you take selenium, you know, as a mineral mm -hmm. with, you know, with the uh, glutathione um, and and. Uh, and the selenium with the vitamin C, now you're forming the antioxidant protective, you know, system, glutathione peroxidase. In other words, which is the most beneficial endogenous antioxidant we form in our bodies for immune system support. So selenium, vitamin C, and N-acetylcysteine and, and, and uh, is a winner when it comes to immune support in the body. Yeah, and really these these products that we're talking about here are going to help reduce oxidative stress, which is happening because of the uh, auto emissions, air pollution, the, the, the fire, the smoke that we're exposed to. So it's not only helping with, um, you know, detoxification, uh, supporting lung function, but it's also helping reduce oxidative stress, which is great. Now, other herbs, Dad, I mean, I like to recommend things like licorice root, but of course, you got to make sure that uh, you don't have hypertension or right. you are taking it to monitor your blood pressure regularly. I also like herbs like elecampane or yerba santa. Um, but of course, 
work with someone who's qualified to actually know how to use these herbs, but they can be really good as expectorants and mucolytics to break up that mucus and to help you get the mucus out of your lungs more efficiently. Yeah. Um, I had great success with licorice root tincture, you know, a few drops yes. in water and mm-hmm. drinking it. Um, and you're absolutely right. The, the, the worst contraindication is hypertension. Uh, however, um, you know, if you are following patients who are hypertensive or mildly to moderately hypertensive, uh, you have up to about three weeks where you could use, you know, liquid true safely. But you certainly cannot use it on a daily chronic basis over several weeks, especially in people with high blood pressure. But it's magical. I can tell you that for supporting, uh, you know, the immune system, especially when it comes to a compromised lung. Yeah, exactly. Well, Dad, I think we've mentioned some amazing things today. We talked about COPD, what it is, and some some treatments to help support it. Um, do you want to leave our listeners with anything else regards to C- COPD? Well, I like astragalus and ashwagandha. I mean, I, I, I've always liked those, uh, you know, herbal preparations. I mean, I've been taking uh, ashwagandha for over 20 years. I mean, as an adaptogen, I think it's mm-hmm. uh, really important. Um, astragalus as well. I mean, I, I just feel that um, these are lung supporting herbs that, uh, you know, work, uh, especially when you take them chronically. So uh, I'm in favor of those as, uh, you know, and, and like I said, I take them daily myself. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Well, thanks everyone for watching today. I'm Dr. Drew Sinatra. And I'm Dr. Steve Sinatra. And I hope you got some information on preserving your lung health because it's really important in this day and age. I can tell you that. And thanks for listening to Be Healthistic.